get in it podcast number one let's bloody wing it how do you how do you feel to be at 44 stanley i mean space i'm pretty chuffed it's a really <laughs> cool space i should probably introduce us this is patrick book he works for pins and knuckles i am from in it apparel and we're trying something that's never happened before um and so here we go yeah uh dude how did you originally get into pins and knuckles in the merchandising game I think I saw the name a bunch of times. It always popped up on social media. I think I followed it at some point. And then one day I saw an advert saying, you know, they're looking for somebody. So I just like thought, okay, I'm gonna take this chance because I love merch, I love bands. I love what they've been doing for the past like 10 years. Mm. I'm gonna take a shot and see if I can land this thing. Also, just actually being able to make some money in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a real blessing to actually be able to be a part of the music scene and like to be able to grow music like worldwide. Mm. Dude, so you've been like in the bloody scene for yonkers now. Thanks. <laughs> um, like how, what was sort of the first thing that drew you into music in the first place? It's got to be my dad. So he, he basically... He took me from being this little kid that was only into techno. <laughs> he made me sit down one day. Wait, 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 what techno did you listen to? To Unlimited, mainly. Okay. <laughs> okay no, yeah. this, is, this is a very I'm revealing my age. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he just like, he just said to me one day, like, just, just sit down. He put me on the, on the couch. He put on Guns N' Roses, you know, the, you know Paradise City. Oh, yeah? And I was sitting there like, oh man, this really sucks. Like, why is this happening? <laughs> and then he's like, He's like, just wait for it, just wait for it, because, you know, it builds up and builds up. And then all of a sudden it kicks in, and then this guy, dude, he's like, he's like six foot four, 120 kilograms. He just starts headbanging in front of me. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? And then, you know, just, just after that, I was like, okay, this was a really weird experience, but like, I really, I really got drawn to the passion mm. of this guy, like trying to show me this thing, show me how, how to rock art. And then eventually I was like, okay, cool. I think rock music could be pretty interesting. Let me check I it out. actually had like a similar vibe because my, my brother was the metal one. Like he's six years older than me. And he, somehow my sister accidentally bought him some rock and roll CD. I can't remember what it was, but it was pretty lame. Um, and then from there, he sort of spiraled into getting like, he somehow went from Eminem to like listening to Metallica mm. and Guns N' Roses and things. But when I was young, I'd be like eight years old and he'd put headphones, like we'd be on holiday somewhere and he'd see I was like really depressed in a corner and he'd put pop headphones on me with like System of a Down playing and then he can like slightly hear it and he'd like mimic the words along and like freak out in front of me <laughs> and I think that was such a big part of what actually got me into it was just seeing someone else like just full on embrace it yeah which is great dude um yeah so Guns N' Roses and then from there so my dad's favorite band is Metallica and fair enough and Justice For All was his favorite album because there's that song uh, One right so I mean that's obviously about Vietnam and so he was my dad was in the border wars with Angola so I think he he really um, felt something he was really moved by that and then one day I, I just decided okay I'm going to have a listen to this myself and I was really really captivated by it mm. um, and then from there just everything just spiraled and next thing I was into Slayer and like anything very very heavy like even like a butchery and stuff like that mm. um, yeah so that that was the next step I mean I wasn't really into Guns N' Roses to be honest but like you know from there Metallica Slayer let's go yeah 
Yeah, every, I think everyone who gets into the heavy side of things is like you. You get your entry point, and then you just like want more. You just want heavier the whole time, and he's like looking no, for exactly. chasing that dragon. Yeah, and, and my dad would boast about it to his friends. Like mm. his friends would be like, you know, Ed, so you're you're into really heavy music, but what's Pat into? And he's like, oh, super heavy stuff, dude. You don't even know the stuff he's into. <laughs> and then he would just like start listing all these bands, and people would be like, okay, this kid's weird. And I'd be like, yeah, I got super support from my dad. Like he always, he always had so much respect for me wanting to become a musician because mm. I think that was something he wanted to do at one point but you know he never really had the chance you know it's such a rare thing it's something to be so grateful for like my mom filled that role she was still is like she always has been the only one who's like just don't stop doing your music like you, I know you'll figure life out just do the music yeah. just keep the music there because um, it's like everyone in our family is musically talented I think not mm. all of us sort of were inclined that way um, but my mom is insanely talented she was like a she had grade 8 in piano and violin and Active. grade 6 in guitar as well or something. Whoa. but then she it was a different time so she just got sort of pushed into you need to make a career or something yeah, exactly. and then became a doctor and doctor and then just took over the whole life mm-hmm. so I think she's trying to avoid that happening with us and like trying to make space to actually pursue the music which is like mm-hmm. ridiculous when you actually think about it did she ever teach you anything? a little bit yeah she I remember when I got my first sort of acoustic guitar she would tune it for me which was a big thing <laughs> but the only thing she could remember how to play was Mary Had a Little Lamb Oh, brilliant. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a classic. <laughs> but yeah, so when did you actually pick up a guitar? When I was 16. So, so basically, all my friends around me were getting like squires, you know, squire electric guitars. Wait, wait was this all in Joburg? Yeah, yeah, still in Joburg. Um, so I was like, cool, I'm also going to get one. So I begged my parents, like, come on, let me, get, let me get an electric guitar. And then when my birthday came around, my 16th birthday, they're like, Go check, go look on your bed. Right, so, uh, sweet, so I go in. And there's a guitar case, and I open it up, and it's an acoustic guitar. <laughs> Shit! No, yeah, this is not what I wanted. Is. No, it was just some no name brand nylon string. Most people's first guitar? Yeah, and my dad's like, you know, before you get onto the electric, you know, you're gonna have to get good at the acoustic. I was like, that's not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's also not true. It's so much easier to learn on an electric. Yeah, I've, I've way preferred that. Like, uh, as soon like, as I got onto the electric, I was like, yes, this is it. I don't know why there's that thing about like you have to start on the hardest possible way yeah. in order to do it properly. Like, no, it's not <laughs> necessary. Anyone out there trying to learn guitar, you can start on an electric. Don't, don't listen to your parents. Yeah, but I made them pay for it though. So mm. I basically downloaded a whole bunch of Slayer tabs. And then sat in the lounge while they were watching TV with my acoustic and I was like practicing like Slayer licks. And so they were pretty pissed off with me, but I had to show them, you know, yeah, yeah. like I'm serious about this thing. You gotta prove it. And then, <laughs> uh, so 16, get your first acoustic. How, what, like, what happened between then and, was Conqueror the first band? No, the, the first band um, was a hardcore punk band called B Raucous. Okay. That's yeah, a great we, name. Yeah, we started that in, in high school. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was pretty much influenced by like early AFI um, okay. and like also um, like anti-flag kind of vibes. And around what time period was this? Talking 1999. Yeah, pretty, pretty early days. And then um, <clears throat> we had our first gig in 2000. It was in, a, in somebody's lounge. 
and, and there were all these BMX kids there and they just crashed the place like they completely destroyed the lights the chimney even got damaged what? Like, <laughs> how do you damage a chimney? no no well I don't know people were just jumping off it and like uh, sort of stage diving, diving from anything that had a platform <laughs> it was pretty cool um, yes and then we only had one gig after that it was at a battle of the bands at some college and uh you should have seen how many disapproving faces we were facing. <laughs> People were just like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Not having it at all. Yeah, but then, yeah, so I, I left that band uh, at the end of 2000. Um, they went on to become Gross Misconduct, and they did really well. They were one of the best bands in the scene at the time. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was the first band. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a great start. And then I think we went into, into something called The Criticisms, which is basically like a bad religion mixed with gutter mouth kind of vibe. <laughs> That's an interesting mix. Yeah, no, it was crazy. And then, um, yeah, then, then from there, all kinds of things happened. Awesome. So, so I think Conqueror was probably like in the 25th band or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were there any, like, anyone more significant than Conqueror? Um, I was in a sludge band called Corax. Oh, I remember Corax. Yeah, um, I never got to see you guys, but I do remember that name definitely. Yeah, I know that. I think that for me was one of my favorite projects, like of my life, really. Um, it was it was quite a blessing because I got to jam with my best friends. You know, we were playing music that didn't really exist, not not only in South Africa but in the world. We had like this crustier kind of sludge vibe. We had our influences, but um, we were just carving out our own thing. Mm. Um, and people seem to respond to it because it, it had this this weird sort of emotional vibe behind it. Like people could pick up from our performances that it meant a lot to us. Yeah, but that, that one thing I've learned is you cannot lie to a crowd. Like you, yeah. you can't sell something you don't believe in. Yeah, exactly. Um, when it comes to music, like the first thing, like people smell it like a shark smells blood if someone isn't enjoying themselves on a stage. Yeah. And I think the most important thing to enjoy yourself on a stage is to actually be making the music you want to make. Instead yeah, exactly. of what you think, like the scene wants or what it needs or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's why when people tend to go to metal shows, like I'm from Bloemfontein, which is a not a very big city, so there's not a very big metal scene, but there's a very passionate one. And obviously, all of us also have friends that aren't metalheads. But whenever they came through to any of our shows, they would have the best time. And I think it's because you can tap into that energy of just people letting loose and actually being like fully engulfed in this passion for something. No, exactly. And I think that's something that's kind of, I don't want to say unique to the heavy side, but it's definitely very strong on the heavier side of music, mm. which is why I love the scene so much. It's such a tight knit like community. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, the, I think the cool thing about, about Corax is that, um, you know, we weren't trying to be anything really. It was, it was a very, very personal thing. All our lyrics were very, very personal. Um, about our, our struggles with life and just processing the world and like dabbling with the occult and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, th things that we thought were really cool. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like at the end of the day, like I said, people really identified with something um, because we didn't try and like force our act or anything. It was just like everything just came from the heart. Mm. Like a lot of the time I just played with my eyes closed and I was just like feeling it and just vibing with it. That's the best. Yeah. And like, was it super technical at all or were you just keeping it simple? Um, it wasn't technical, but in terms of the songwriting, we didn't really try and stick to any like formulaic structures. And mm. um, what we were trying to do is just make this thing that spiraled and kept turning and turning into different directions. And um, 
you know, so, so people would often ask, like, how do we even write songs? Like, how, how did we come across such weird structures? And how did we even think about that? And, but the thing is, it wasn't really planned. It was just something that happened. Like, we just went with the flow and just moved it as we needed to. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> and it just happened to work. And it happened to exactly mirror what we were trying to portray, like, emotionally. Dude, it's like, so creatively. satisfying when that works. Yeah. It's like, I've only had that once, really, when I was me and my brother <laughs> my brother's a very very good drummer um, and he wanted to just start a stupid rock and roll band like that was the words that he used he was like I don't want to think about this I just want to make silly energetic upbeat rock and roll and that was what both of us were listening I was so influenced by him when I was before I was 18 that I was just listening to whatever he would be listening to so we were both like exactly on the same track of what we wanted to do and I think that being brothers, it's, when you just jam together, it's a lot easier as well. Mm. So we'd literally start with the riff and then jam it out from there and be like, I feel like this should go into a fast punky breakdown thing or something. And then it just happens, but the song never repeated <laughs> one bit <laughs> once. Everything just sort of flew and like, I still love those songs, mm. actually. And I, I can't write something like that just on my own. And it's such a blessing to have somebody so close to you that you can jam with at mm. any given time and bounce ideas with. Yeah, unfortunately we only played one show and then our vocalist moved to Cape Town and then shortly followed by my brother moving to Cape Town. So, yeah, Spider-Man died. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> Proudly for the best though with copyright yeah. and shit as well. Well, at least we got you here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. And then, so tell me about Conqueror, dude. How was that whole run? That was a mega trip. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess I can start from the beginning. So um, I was part of the very first lineup, um, and then, but for some other reason, I couldn't really continue. So then I stepped out for a while, and then the band went through all kinds of lineup changes and different sounds, and then eventually took a break. Um, but then at some point, um, Richard and Tuffy. Uh, they're the two brothers, like Richard plays guitar, Toffee played drums, mm. and they were, they were looking to start a band again, and then I, then I think they decided to start Conqueror again, but with a whole, a whole different sound, and then Peter Jordan from Peasant was playing bass at the time, and I think he was actually a, a big driving force in helping the band to get started again, and so he played on the, the two newer EPs uh, before he moved to Cape Town, and then I think I got a call from Richard saying, like, listen, like, Peter's moving down. Do, do I want my old place back? So I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And then, um, yeah, so then we, <laughs> I went to a practice. It was cool. And then we started working really, really hard on, on a, not a full length. It was basically an EP, but like seven songs. And for oh, a hardcore album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we wanted to uh, release that on Janet Records. And... We had a, a really good guy named uh, Bruno from Belgium. Uh, he, he showed a lot of in interest in us. And, um, oh, it's Janet Radical's a Belgium label? Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, because I think we wanted to play on Iperfest, um, which is a massive hardcore fest in, in Belgium. And Bruno runs it. And luckily he took the chance on us. <clears throat> he had a lot of faith in us. And um, he released our, our record. And uh, we were able to play the tour. Oh, not the t we were able to play Iperfest and we formulated a tour around it mm. um, and that was crazy like that was just non-stop madness what year was this? 2014 oh okay. yeah yeah so 
yeah, so that, that was the, how I got back into Conqueror. Um, and the thing is as well, like, we, we were super tight friends as well. Like, I'd known Richard for years and years, and Tuffy as well. I'd been in a thrash band with him called Cataclysmic Abyss. <laughs> and, and Russ, I mean, he's been a super solid guy in the tattoo industry and, you know, obviously the vocalist from Conqueror since the beginning. Um, so, you know, so it was a, a real privilege to jam with my friends and, you know, I learned a lot from them. We had some really good times. Mm. I, do. I think like the camaraderie that goes around being in a band in general is something you can't really take for granted at all. It's like half the experience. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> the thing is that like, being in a band is just work, it, essentially. Like, you get your hour on stage, which is like the best thing. And it's fun and everything's cool, but like everything in between that is just a mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we put in hard hours, like we practiced religiously like every Wednesday, but even when there were no shows, we were always practicing, always trying to be as tight as possible, mm. you know, because so, that was something that was very important to us. And we, always, we were always tweaking our tone, always trying to get like the hardest, heaviest tone going. And, you know, so we worked really, really hard on that. That's one thing I remember. Every time I saw a Conqueror show, it was you would walk in, you'd watch, watch a couple of bands, and be like, oh, this is cool, like, everything's like it. And then as soon as Conqueror comes on, it just feels like this wall of fucking sound that just hits you in the face. <laughs> and it's nonstop. It was like from the beginning to the end. The energy was there, the levels were there. It's no like, I don't know, it's a hard thing to explain, but it's when people put actual time and effort into thinking of every single aspect of the show, it comes across as something like completely different and it's the smallest little details that make those changes yeah exactly um so it's always fun to hear someone else who <laughs> obsesses over a guitar tone <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude always <laughs> um that's quite that's a rabbit hole yeah um you never really get it yeah there's always something that you want to tweak like there's get a new pedal and that's perfect but you want to tweak something again how's this one in pickle been treating you i haven't been using it enough yet but I've got the application ready, I know exactly what I'm going to do with it, and it's going to be pretty mental. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we could wrap it up then. Awesome, man. Hmm. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Awesome. And thank you for the, the test run, first ever Get In It podcast. We'll, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to checking it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs>